Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Before I get into talking about my guest today, I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. I know it's a couple days after the fact, but I hope uh, everyone had a great time. I stayed in my pajamas all day and I baked a pumpkin pie and ate a pumpkin pie while watching uh, various binge-watchy stuff on uh, Amazon and Netflix. So that was a lot of fun. My family is all back in Seattle. They, the mass of them got together. And unfortunately, I missed out on that. But I ate my pumpkin pie and I thought about them and watched my TV and my jams and that was good. So I hope everyone else had a really wonderful Christmas and um, I hope everybody has a fantastic New Year's. Please be safe. And um, I don't do resolutions. Uh, I wait till my birthday for some weird reason. I don't know why I do that, but it's just the way I've always done it. Um, Here's to a really great new year uh, hey Human has now been out, it'll be two years this coming July. 2017 has been really wonderful. Um, thank you everyone who have reached out to me, who have shared Hey Human with other people, um, who've talked about it and and emailed me, which please always feel free to email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Thank you for those of you who uh, did a support of Hey Human, um, I really appreciate that. Thank you everyone who's been using the Amazon affiliate program. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I linked up with Amazon affiliate program. So if you go to Hey Human Podcast on that homepage, at the top there's a banner, it's an Amazon banner. You click on that, you shop Amazon like you normally would, and your shopping on Amazon helps support Hey Human. So I really appreciate that. Please continue to do so. It's not just for the holidays. It's forevermore. Um, as long as Hey Human shall live. A reminder to please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes and whichever podcast app you may listen to it on. Um, follow me on the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Hey Human Podcast. I'm also, I have personal social medias under Susan Ruthism please follow me there. My Facebook, I think, is almost to capacity. I, I don't know. I think they tap out at like 5,000. And it's so hard to tell anymore, who, you know, which ones are real people and which ones aren't real people. So if you want to add me on my personal Facebook under Susan Ruthism, totally fine. Shoot me a little message or something um, so that I know you're an actual human being and not a robot. Uh, speaking of robots, <laughs> in 2018... Um, I've got some really fantastic guests coming, uh, in, including a professor of robotics and artificial intelligence. I'm super duper excited for that one. Um, I've got a forensic anthropologist, a psychic, a white hat hacker, a recovering heroin addict, CDC epidemiologist. Um, I've got um, a young woman who's going to be on the show. She's 15. Um, uh, I spoke with a couple people who are in their late 90s imagine 100 years on the planet it's the stories are incredible um i'm just i'm super stoked it's gonna be great um uh what else do i want to talk about oh for this particular episode of hey human um there's a ton of links on the link page of heyhumanpodcast.com so please go there and check out all the links um and i feel like there was something else that i wanted to bring up and i i never remember all the things even though if you, oh, I know what it was. <laughs> I've written down everything that I wanted to make sure I talked about, but this was something I thought of at the last minute when I uh, was putting together this episode. I realized, as usual, I say uh, interesting and fascinating so much in this particular. I know I say it a lot anyway in every episode, but in this particular episode, it's crazy how often I say it. So I had a, a friend say that they envision the Hey Human drinking game, where every time I say fascinating or interesting, they have to drink. Well, if you do play that game at home, uh, do it safely and know that you will be drunk at the end of this episode. Um, <laughs> speaking of this episode, I sat down with John McPherson. He was very kind and had me in his uh, living room talking about cryptocurrency um 
that is something that I think boggles a lot of minds, mine included. And he explained it so succinctly and patiently and answered my millions of questions. He So he is certainly an expert in cryptocurrency. And he's also, uh, he has been a citizen of Second Life, which is a virtual world um, for a very long time. He talked about Second Life as well. Um, super interesting guy. See, there I go again. And a really nice guy uh, and, and so great. And he was kind enough to say, if you listen to this episode and you still have questions, um, you can reach out to him. His email is learnavatar at gmail.com. And again, it's on the heyhumanpodcast.com link page. But, you know, just in case, there it is for you. Learnavatar at gmail.com. You can always email me, Susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Happy to forward any questions on to John. So, yeah, I think that's what I got for y'all for this episode, which I'm really excited about because I learned so much. And again, thank you for an incredible 2017. You know, podcasts exist because people listen to them and... Um, I'm just, I'm in awe and, and great thanks for you, for you guys. Thank you for listening. And I hope 2018 will have content that excites you and, um, (laughs) fascinates you and, um, makes you, uh, think and smile and cry and all the stuff, you know, the human stuff. That's what we're here for. Um, thank you. Here we go. Hi, John McPherson. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you, actually, because um, some of our mutual friends uh, connected me to you, and you know about something that so many people know nothing about, and even when they think they know, they don't really know. It's it's cryptocurrency, which is a huge craze. Is that the right thing to call it these days? I think you're right. I think it's a uh, paradigm shift in the way people exchange value. Mm-hmm. And uh, the big idea behind it is something called blockchain, which is an open source software Mm -hmm. that anyone can download and take a look at, which generally basically means distributed digital ledger. Okay. So think that's what a blockchain is. That's what the blockchain is. It's basically just a bunch of information compressed into blocks and then linked in a chain Mm -hmm. and then distributed to everyone that uses that currency. In other words, if you and I both use Bitcoin or what, there's lots of different ones. This just seems to be the hot name. Um, then you and I can see what each other's transactions are. Is that what kind? That is? Kind of. Uh, first off, the transactions are all recorded. Okay. They are all anonymous, mm-hmm. but the IDs are open. So your wallet ID is visible. Mm-hmm. The recipient's wallet ID is visible. Now, information past that is not. So you don't know I can't what the money say, is for. You don't know where it's going. You just know, you know how much you have. You know where it's going. Oh. You know how much you sent. And you know where it came from. Okay. So those are all information contained in the blockchain. So a blockchain, if you were to, to put it in real world terms, it would be like the ledger you use for your checkbook. Exactly. Okay. That's an excellent only, analogy. Only everyone else can see it. And it's digital. Yeah. So everyone has a copy. Okay. Now the advantage of that is to fraud that system, to defraud that system, you would have to destroy every ledger, every copy of the ledger. Interesting. Since it's on millions of cell phones all over the world, it would be impossible to do that, as well as impossible to say, hey, I have 100 bitcoins. Everybody would look at their ledger and go, no, you don't. Interesting. So let's go back to the beginning of cryptocurrency. How did this even start? Uh, A guy named Satoshi uh, something. Um, or maybe it's not even a guy, maybe it's just a group of people who are chatting online and were trying to come up with a way that they could exchange value uh, over the internet. So mm-hmm. it was just a real simple concept of being able to send money to someone else or send value. And they developed an open source, which means anybody can see the source code, uh, open source uh, series of um, agreements and protocols to use when doing this. Like a barter system in a way? Uh, Because why would you just use money money? 
Uh, well, okay. Which is also sort of a make-believe currency it, it if you is. really get down to it. It is. If, if uh, you know, a lot of people in this podcast will understand what fiat currency means, but it just means that the paper is not backed by actual silver or gold. It's just the government says it's worth this much. So, so right. they And every time they print more paper money, it's right. worth a little bit less because right. there's more of it. It's the scarcity of, of a commodity. Sure. Um, so with this, uh, you can't really stuff a, a paper dollar through your laptop and it come out the other end. With Bitcoin, and I can show you how a transaction works, but basically you just open your phone, open your wallet, and then you can scan another person's wallet and send them the money directly. It goes across borders. But can you do that with regular money? Uh, not as not as fast as, as I'm about to do it. Um, you basically just create a QR code, and a QR code is this little... The little Squiggly weird thing. Picture. Yeah, the squiggles. Yeah, the square. Sure. You scan it with this, mm -hmm. and then it instantly will send that amount of money, uh -huh. whatever the person that created the code wanted, um, and they'll get it in a matter of minutes, as opposed to Visa or MasterCard. Or, 24 hours. Uh, yeah, or yeah. even PayPal. A lot of them are 24 hours. Or more. Um, you know, depending on the merchant, it could be 30 days or 60 yeah. days. Um, the other advantage from a merchant is it costs them a few cents to process a transaction instead of a percentage. Visa or MasterCard will take 2 to 3%, yeah. and Bitcoin just takes really a few cents. So if I'm dealing in a cryptocurrency, first of all, if it's open source, why is it crypto? Excellent question. So the source code on how we interact is open. Our protocols and uh, the, the set of instructions that we send to each other is um, open source. It is encrypted. This information that's passed across the internet is encrypted. So um, it is a third party couldn't just come into the network and, and see what was going on. But the crypto part of it is the blockchain is compressed and joined in a way that makes it very difficult to unpack. Mm. Like a zip file? Yeah, I guess. but 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 crypt, crypto. You yeah. have to solve a math problem sure. to open this file. And apparently all of the math problems across the board. You can't open one without opening the others. Is that uh, every single transaction is contained in every yeah. blockchain. Okay. So everyone that has the wallet, the blockchain, has all the information since history of Bitcoin started. Okay, so if oh. all of this is and I know that you're a part of you're a big uh, into Second City as well. Second Life. Second Life. Yeah. Sorry, Second fine. Life. Second, Second City life. is the comedy <laughs> troupe. Sorry, my bad. Second Life. Second Life. Yeah. Um, so in that world, for example, all the transactions going on are within the world, but you can get real world money. Because yes. I remember some of my friends did musical performances on Second Life, and that translated to cash in the real world, which Indeed. to me is so bizarre. It's, and the it's way like going to some other planet and, and changing your currency out and then coming back to this dimension or, you know. Planet. Well, it's still going on. Second Life is as big as it's ever been. Yeah. It's still free to join. You can play music in Second Life. You can actually earn money. And the way that works is you can sell that money to other players in the game. For real money. For real money that you can get through PayPal. Yeah. Second Life and PayPal work together. So they send the money through PayPal and it comes to your account. Now, what does happen and what happens to me and what happens to anybody in the United States is we declare that income uh, to the IRS and pay taxes on it. In Second and, Life. In the real world. Okay. I, that's I, what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, the money in, in you make life. from Second from Life. Second Life. You uh, you have to pay tax Declare on that, money, but do you with cryptocurrency? Uh, you, you do. You do. Uh, it, so yeah. the government is paying attention. Yeah, it's I just hard. This. It's just hard to get their hands on it. Um, Coinbase and Kraken are two of the largest exchanges in the United States. To get one of those accounts, it's similar to opening a bank account, if okay. not more difficult. So they have all your information. So if you sell a bunch of Bitcoin on Coinbase or Kraken, and you don't report it to the IRS. That information still goes to the IRS, and they'll send you a letter and say, "Hey, why didn't you report this this income?" So the rumors that cryptocurrency is a way for money laundering and all that stuff is that unfounded, or is that also a, a thing? Just like is any thing. banking is a thing. That is a thing, and just like any technology, the early adapters uh, 
were on the edges, some of them, not all of them, but some of them were on the edges of legality. And that would be drugs, um, prostitution, um, weapons, just all the bad things that happen in the world that you can do with cash. People did do with Bitcoin and still are doing. Sure. Uh, So the crypto part of that makes it very hard to track if you don't transfer that into paper money or some other kind of asset that has to go through an exchange. If you're just giving somebody a Bitcoin and they give you back a Bitcoin, indeed, that is very hard to follow. So what, how does that translate into, as you say, first world, if, or first life, sorry, mm-hmm. I'll get it eventually, first life, if, if all my money is in Bitcoin, for mm-hmm. example, and I want to go buy a house, it's not like I can go up to a mortgage guy and say, you can. hey, you can. You can, you just can't do it without claiming that is income and not get so a letter just, from the IRS. You have to translate the Bitcoin into first life money? You, you, or? you don't, but you do have to report it. Okay. So you can buy a house from someone in Bitcoin. Okay. But you, if you do it in the United States, and you don't report it, there's a good chance that the IRS will send you a letter. Okay. So instead of doing that, what you should do is buy the house from somebody in Bitcoin, and then on your taxes, claim that property as income, as Mm -hmm. as something that you've acquired. It comes into your possession, so it's income. So in a way, is the cryptocurrency world like a second life world? That's an excellent, a- <laughs> excellent analogy. Uh, I've been with Second Life since 2006, before Bitcoin, and we were trading virtual currencies. You know, since then. So for me, this is this is kind of old hat. Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin came around in 2010, and I wasn't uh, smart enough to be one of the early adopters. But I still think that we are way ahead of the bubble. This big Bitcoin craze that everybody's talking about. Just like the very <laughs> yes, this is just the very very beginning, and it's different from Beanie Babies because Beanie Babies soared to a value beyond their actual worth. Sure. So did the the tulip bulbs in Holland, and and other bubbles. There was a great tulip bulb yeah. bubble in Holland in the 1600s, yeah. where tulip bulbs went to like thousands of dollars each. They are not worth that. A Bitcoin is. Because money's value is determined by demand. That's a good way to put it. And the way I try to explain it to people is anybody that bought a Bitcoin yesterday for 19000 is not interested in selling it today for 16000 So the value is just the collective's value of the product. Mm-hmm. And what I mean the collective is the people using Bitcoin. Uh, a few days ago, a futures market opened up on Bitcoin trading. So now you can actually sell Bitcoin, mm-hmm. short it, if you will, mm-hmm. if you think it's going down. So there's markets that will level out the price. If somebody wants to sell Bitcoin, it's easy to sell. If somebody wants to buy, it's easy to buy. But the long-term trajectory of Bitcoin and several other currencies is probably going to continue to go up because of the scarcity. There's only 21 million Bitcoins total. Oh, so there's, it's period. not a regenerative. It's... It does not. So there's 20, and that's part of the code. This is part of the open source code that you can examine and, and look at line by line. So the 21 million coins are distributed through mining. Mm-hmm. Mining, in layman's terms, is processing the transaction. So computer A wants to send $1 to computer B. Computer C processes the transaction, verifies that A and B are both correct, basically unwraps this blockchain, this this big, long crypto file that we're talking about. And for processing that $1, they are given a small reward. A middleman. Yeah, but maybe like a cent or two cents or something really tiny. In Bitcoin or in In real money? In Bitcoin. And and the dollar was a bad example. Let's say $100. Okay. Then the the person in the middle would probably make, you know, 10 cents, 20 cents, something tiny. So they're like a teller in a way or Uh, uh, a a lender, I guess. A a broker would would probably be a better term. A broker, okay. Because they're buying and selling. But but not even that. It's more of um, a verification. I am just uh, processing the transaction. I'm approving. I'm verifying that all the parties. You're making to sure do this. A and B are legit. Legit. And I'm C going. All right, A, it's legit. All right, yeah. B, it's legit. And for my knowledge of this legitimacy, 
you give me a penny or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And that kind of segues into the next generation of cryptocurrency. Which is? Ethereum Classic. Ethereum? E-T-H? As in the like ether? ether. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which has now split off into two, just like Bitcoin is now split off into several different currencies. There's Still with the 21 million? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. thousand. What did you say it was? Uh, 21? Yeah, 21 million. Well, million. Let's, let's take a step back and let, let's go back to the first generation mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. And that's okay. Bitcoin and Litecoin and coins like that. Uh, there's 21 million Bitcoins. Total with Total. all the different versions. Uh, that's when a you good, refer that's to a the good others. Question. That's they... a good question. Um, I'm not positive of the answer on that, but I think those others are completely separate. I don't mm-hmm. think they count as a 21 million. But, okay. but someone else that's listening, please verify that. Um, so what the scarcity means is these 21 million coins are distributed to people that mine. And every certain amount of time, every few months or every year, whatever, that reward halves. Mm-hmm. Meaning instead of getting X, you're getting half X for doing the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. So what that does is it requires... It's very incentivizing. It's the opposite for the miner. It de-incentivizes. Yeah. So then the miner has to go out and buy more computers, and now it's more expensive to mine Bitcoin. So once the miner gets that Bitcoin, they're going to be less likely to want to sell it mm. on one of the exchanges. Which makes the value increase. Yes times the adoption rate. So you take that factor, okay, it's already increasing there. Then you multiply it times every new person that decides to buy a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, one statistic people like to point out is that Bitcoin transactions are flat. People buying a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, airplane ticket, all things you can actually do with Bitcoin. That that has not really increased much. Mm -hmm. What has increased is the amount of people owning Bitcoin. A lot of people are just buying it and hanging on to it as a store of value. So those people are being rewarded by holding the currency and not selling it. Not, you know, if it goes up $100, quick, you sell it. Well, the people that don't are rewarded by holding it longer. Um, Back in April, you could buy a Bitcoin for a thousand bucks. Now, uh, a couple days ago, it was at 20,000. So that's a 20 times return in value. Not only is it not going down in value, it's going up. So the more people that want Bitcoin, the higher the value will go up. And then the harder it is to mine Bitcoin, the less the miners will want to sell to these new people. Mm. So you have a two times factor of of why this is going up. If the miner is the middle man, for lack of a better word, right? The one that's that's verifying on Mm -hmm. either side of the transaction. um, Isn't it... A, that is makes the decision as to whether to sell? If A says, I want to well, give Bitcoin to B, mm-hmm. and and C, the miner, is the one verifying, but still isn't the power in the hands of A? Exactly. Okay. I can't believe I'm following this. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that A is the sender. Uh, B is the recipient. So why does C, why does the miner then benefit by holding on, by telling well, A, no, you can't sell? Well, a miner wouldn't do that. A miner would tell A that B doesn't exist or that um, So not B, lying? What? <laughs> yeah, like, like B is, is, doesn't exist. They're, they're a fraudulent wallet, so they're trying to steal the Bitcoin from you. So they or that lie? the amount this is, is different. like a yeah. weird sort of bluff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, Vegas. Uh, yeah, but it, very few people do it that way because it's so easy to get caught. There, mm. there is no getting away with it. Okay. So it's a, a built-in prevention for this to happen. But let's say B was a bad actor. Instead of $10, they typed in $10 million. And so A unknowingly says, oh, $10, okay, I'll just send $10. Well, B has actually requested $10 million. So C would deny that transaction ah, because the amounts don't match sure. up. Sure, right, right. So it's not telling either party it can or can't do it. It's just telling them this do not match. How does one become a minor then? Any person can be a miner. Uh, the network is open, so all you have to do is log in, and it will assign you a problem. Hmm. It will assign you a math problem to solve. Most individual people... I'm with, already out. <laughs> well, most individual people don't have the horsepower in their personal home computers to do this. So when it, it first a, started... It needs a powerful... Very. Okay. When it first started, you could. And a lot of people just mine these in their home computers mm-hmm. at home and mm-hmm. made tons of money. Mm-hmm. But now, 
it's becoming so hard to solve these math problems, you literally have to have the newest, fastest, high-speed processors running at, at the optimum temperature. And what is the math problem? It is unwrapping the cryptology protecting the blockchain. Whoa, how in the world would you know how to do that? You don't have to. The, the computer, computer does. does. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so let's say I have a 20 Bitcoin, which is what, $400,000, right? Mm -hmm. If it's valued yeah, yeah, at 20 yeah. grand. Yeah. So. It's 17 today, but. Okay, yeah. well, let's 20, just yeah. for ease, ease of, of numbers, let's make it round. Um, and let's, now, is it, do I, am I able to translate that into US dollars or yen or whatever it is? And how does that process work? Because what yes. do the banks on, become C at that point? Uh, no, the banks do not become C. Uh, Coinbase or Kraken would become D. And they have real world dollars, yes. first world, first life, I'm going to get yeah. this, first life dollars <laughs> that they say, okay, we will be the broker for the Bitcoin. You sell it to us and we give you cash that you can then Correct. put in your normal bank. Correct. Coinbase and, and Kraken. They assume they take a cut, I guess. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Coinbase takes about 3%. Kraken takes about 0.3%. Uh, so Kraken's for the big investor, the big buyer. Coinbase is for your average person. And the way I get money into and out of either one of those is from wire transfer. So mm -hmm. I go to my bank, fill out a form, mm -hmm. hand it to the uh, assistant, whatever, and they send it off. And then a few hours later, it's credited to my Kraken account. So we could look at cryptocurrency as, as if Magellan had discovered another continent. And on that continent, this is the, the value and system. It's, it's in, in a, a way. good, it's an excellent analogy. And later in the conversation or, or whenever we segue, I'll get to the second generation of cryptocurrency. And that is a equal leap, Magellan sized leap from cryptocurrency. Hmm. What's around the corner is so much more amazing than what people realize right now. All right. So is there a protection in place where some power that be won't suddenly say, hey, there's 21 million coins in, in, circulation let's make it 40 million is that it's ever impossible going? because it's the code yeah the code is open source so it it's truly, written that way it's truly what comes comes Finite. out yeah and then that's you said true for all the other versions um do the they speak other to coins each other? The, the developers do the people that create these other currencies do um every currency has its own protocols instead of rules the ones that were not in my opinion valid a lot of those have already died off. Mm -hmm. The ones that are more like Bitcoin that, that do have a scarcity and, and do continue to rise in value are continuing to rise in value. Uh, Monero is up today to 460-something dollars. Um, Wouldn't it behoove me as a miner, instead of being a miner, is to figure out how to develop a program to write a code that would make these coins? You're instead? talking about gem code or gem coin. And Jim Coin, let's just pick a name of a gym. Let's call it Bob's Gym. Mm -hmm. And Bob has a gym in every city in the United States. Mm -hmm. When you join Bob's Gym, you're given 100 Jim Coin. All right. The next person that joins, let's say, gets 99 Jim Coin. So it rewards the early adapters. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Let's also say every time you refer someone to Bob's Gym, you get 100 more Jim Coin and they get 100 gem coin for joining. So now you've created an incentive with your own company. It really didn't have anything to do with becoming the next Bitcoin. You're just trying to get your customers to have this little reward. Mm -hmm. So instead of one currency becoming the end all be all, I predict thousands, if not millions of different currencies cropping up with every little organization and group that wants to reward members, that wants to reward behavior, that wants to encourage people to use their product. You can give away a coin the same way you would give away a coupon mm -hmm. or a, a rebate or an incentive. Or Is that something you want to do? Ah, uh, that's an excellent question. I would love to. I don't know if I have the energy or time. Uh, but let's just say energy and, and discipline to do that. It, it would take a lot of work and you would have to evangelize and, and, and win people over. My uh, daily 
activities. I don't know if, if they have time for that. Uh, I have been approached uh, by a really large group that would like to build their own data center and mining operations. So I have um, considered uh, you know, some mining avenues. I have not considered my own coin yet, but you know, maybe if I had the right help, if I had the right, um, you know, basically someone else to do it, and I just told them, you sure. know, what I wanted to do. Well, I mean, like, if you have a great idea for an app, you yeah. still hire a designer to, yeah. or a computer person to do this. Yeah, at I once. really, <laughs> I really need the adoption rate. So if I found a person with, let's say Bob, who owns Bob's Gym, and he'd never thought of this idea. So if I found Bob and he wanted to do it, then I would definitely implement it for him. But I would hire uh, you know, yeah. other people to do it, and, and I wouldn't it's necessarily really do it It's really quite fascinating. So what is this next generation? I'm so glad we got to this part. And it's part. Picard at the foot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we got to this part because this is smart contracts. I encourage everyone listening to this podcast, go to YouTube, type in the word smart contract, watch the six-minute video on what a smart contract is. I'll try to explain it myself briefly. A uh, contract is a piece of paper that two people sign and agree on something. A smart contract is just a digital version of that. And in Ethereum Classic, uh, Ethereum has two different strands now. There's Ethereum Classic and there's Ethereum. I'm a Ethereum Classic guy. There's other people out there that are Ethereum. But both of them have something built into the coin that will allow you to set restrictions to the transaction. So let's say you want, before you send the money, you want the shipper to put in the UPS number for the shipping package. Mm -hmm. And you can hold that money in escrow, for lack of a better term, until you actually receive the good. Mm -hmm. Then once you receive the good, you type in uh, you know, whatever you're supposed to do on your end, and the transaction sends. Mm -hmm. So it's like a Bitcoin transaction with an emergency break. Our verification system. And isn't can, that what C is, though? C. C isn't C the verification. Oh, okay. Um, yes, and it's just a single transaction. Bitcoin is just moving value from point A to point B. A smart contract allows you to do that transaction in segments. So the first segment is, I put some money into the Ethereum Classic coin. The second part of the transaction is, let's say I'm buying a car. The guy on the other end enters in the shipping date and shipping number of the car. All right, and then when I receive the car, I enter in a third set of information that says, the car is received, here's the uh, tax ID number, or whatever other information you want to put in. And then the Ethereum goes to the mm -hmm. seller. But doesn't it require a lot of trust on the seller's part? Uh, that's an excellent question. So let's, and I'll do this scenario really quickly, but let's do a pretend scenario. Okay. Um, you're going to buy a car for, let's say, $40,000. Mm -hmm. And there's a paper contract on your left, and on your right there is a smart contract. Now, the paper contract is to a car dealer, reputable car dealer, um, they're in town, um, and with the paper contract, you also give them a cashier's check for $40,000. They take the cashier's check, deposit it in their bank, and the car is supposed to be here in a week. Okay. Over here, the same thing happens, except instead of a cashier's check, in your smart contract, you deposit Ethereum, classic. Mm -hmm. All right, and then a week later, the car is supposed to ship. Okay, so a week goes by and neither car arrives. Which contract would you, as the buyer, which contract would you rather have? Oh, the smart one, of course. So the smart one, the money instantly comes back to the buyer. You don't have to do anything to the seller. It just never went through. You never entered in, I received the product. On the paper contract side, you have to go to the dealer, ask them for the money back, maybe have to sue them, maybe yeah, have to do all sorts sure. of other things. With the smart contract, it's just instant. It's great for the buyer, but my question is, how do you convince the seller to send a product before it gets paid, before they get paid? Because the proof is on the buyer to prove that it arrived or didn't arrive. So the if the shipper enters in the shipping number uh -huh. and gets back the receipt from the shipper that it was delivered, here's the signature, 
then the buyer, the, the transaction is completed because that's mm-hmm. what the buyer specified and the seller specified at the beginning. Sure. They specified that, that you had to put in this information and I have to put in this information. So right. if neither party puts in the information, then it, it doesn't it's go through. It's null and void. Yeah. But the, still, the seller does have to trust that the buyer's money exists and all that stuff. Or is that they, just they an don't. automatic? Well, they, the seller doesn't have to trust that the money exists because they can see they're part of the smart they're contract. They're part of the tra- chain. And they can see this Ethereum I that's see. full. So the buyer so does his part. So they know it's there. They just can't access it until, until the, the shipper oh, provides okay. the delivery information. All right, that makes sense. All right. So there could be three or 17 different parties involved in sure. one contract. Right. It takes the central point out and the central point would be the court systems the banks anybody that could uh in this other scenario with a paper contract someone would have to get you your money back sure you couldn't just walk into the dealership and they'd be like oh yeah here's your 40 grand you know there would be some sort of process with ethereum it's instant ethereum process so uh, what are your feelings two questions what are your feelings about all the people are like oh this bitcoin this is all just gobbledygook most if you look all over the internet people seem really confused by it and and even mock it I, so I how was, do you feel about that? I was in that camp for six years. Okay. What changed your mind? I finally read what blockchain meant. Mm-hmm. Before then, I had no idea. I'd heard the word. It sounded interesting, but mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what blockchain meant. Once I understood that it's a digital distributed ledger, mm-hmm. I figured out that this is legitimate. It is secure. What got a lot of people off of Bitcoin was the Mt. Gox scandal. And Mt. Gox was an exchange in 2011 that was hacked. Okay. Now, some of us believe the owner of Mt. Gox just simply turned off his website and kept all the money. That's been disproven by certain people in certain ways, but uh, anybody can think whatever they want to think. So what happened in 2011 is a lot of people are like, oh, it's a big fraud. It's a scam. It's a Ponzi scheme. We're getting our money out. What actually happened is, we were talking about firearm safety before, there is crypto safety that that you should employ when you're using cryptocurrency. And one of those ideas is don't store a large quantity of coin in an exchange. Use an exchange, get the coin out, and put it into what's known as a hardware wallet. Okay. A hardware wallet is different from the Bitcoin wallet on your phone. A hardware wallet looks like a USB CD drive or a key drive. Mm-hmm. You stick it into your computer, you download the cryptocurrency onto that, and then you can put that in a safety deposit box or in a safe or anywhere you want like to. Like it was a gold bar. Like something. it was a gold bar, and then come back 10 years later and plug it back in, and you would still have that same amount of Bitcoin. Interesting. You'd probably be a billionaire at that point, but it's much more secure than keeping it on your phone mm-hmm. and much more secure than keeping it in an exchange especially an out-of-country exchange well you bring up a really good point and uh is there a big concern with hacking as far as this cryptocurrency and also um is there a concern that some power that be will like you said suddenly go i'm gonna keep it all y'all are fucked <laughs> Uh, that happens. Um, less reputable exchanges pop up and close every day. Mm. So You really have to do your due diligence like you yeah. would researching a bank. I, I prefer using a U.S.-based exchange because they would, they'd get arrested and thrown in jail if, if they did that. Uh, Mt. Gox was based in Asia, and, mm. and I'm not sure whatever happened to that guy. Yeah. They unleashed the tigers on them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I mean, it, it destroyed... They only had 3,000 tigers, but they unleashed all of them. <laughs> it, it literally destroyed people. A friend of my friend and literally killed herself. Oh my God. After this hack, because she had amassed a fortune in Bitcoin. This was back in 2011. So she was an early, early adapter. Did she and not have money in the in first life? She, she did just the, the amount of wealth that was lost in the Mt. Gox uh, fiasco yeah. was, was, was tremendous. And she, she was one of the bigger and ones so that got she hit. Was just... She was devastated. Yeah. You know, you'd gone from you know, basically broke to rich, back to broke in, you know, a matter of, of a year. And but was, see, now, I find that fascinating that she would, I mean, I'm sorry if your friend that's horrifying. Well, it's a friend I, of a friend, so okay, I didn't actually. Okay, but it's no. just to me, because it, it's hard to wrap your brain, which is living in the matrix known as the real world, <laughs> whatever you want to think about that, but to think, all right, in, in this 
dimension or whatever. I go out, I have a job, I do my thing. Somebody gives me real money, green stuff. I stick it mm -hmm. in my bank. I'm fine. But in, in this other world, I've amassed a billion dollars in Bitcoin. And I'm assuming buying things with that and living a lifestyle with that, right? That is still translatable, just like regular cash is translatable to goods and service mm -hmm. and all that. But losing that, you still have the real world money, do you not? That's well, the, where I'm the Bitcoin, I guess, the Bitcoin was real world, and she lost real world money when she lost the Bitcoin. That's where I get confused. So in 2011, when this scandal happened, she could have sold that Bitcoin through another exchange mm -hmm. and turned it into green actual cash and put it into a bank. Mm -hmm. She didn't have that kind of money in real in re, then, I guess. Like all of her money was basically in this ether world. Yes. Okay. But she could have taken it out, or she could have taken half of it out, or some of it. But it all was lost. So it was it was real, and it was real. I think that's of. what's it's such a hard thing. I think this is where people get confused. Is it is very strange to try and wrap your brain around the concept of this this money here mm -hmm. in the ether and then this money here, which I would argue is also ether money. It is. It I mean, is that's the thing that's nothing. so funny is the people that make fun of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency, I, I often say, but isn't, you know, your piece of, your $1 bill that says e pluribus unum, isn't that fake? Really? Okay, let's, let's say you've got a bar of gold. Yes. And you want to send that to your mother and let's say Venezuela. Okay. All right. How long would it take to get there and how much would it cost you? Don't know. A lot. Of those are heavy. Okay. So, so big on both sides. Let's say you wanted to send her a Bitcoin. You just do it over the internets. It would take minutes. <laughs> yeah. And there are literally thousands of people selling toilet paper, toothpaste, condoms, medicine, the food, stuff. anything, <laughs> anything you can list. buy. They're Amazing. selling them in Venezuela, and toilet paper happens to be the most popular. It, so, with, with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin. So this guy that had an air conditioning company in Venezuela, he was on 60 Minutes or some show, um, It's literally starving. I mean, they've literally lost weight. The average Venezuelans lost oh, no, like 10 starving. pounds. They're starving. They're yeah, starving. Absolutely. Death. So this guy that had an air conditioning company was doing really good before whatever happened. And uh, nobody, uh, yeah, and nobody uh, wants to buy air conditioning anymore. They don't have any money. So that was one of the first things to go out. So he went from this very comfortable lifestyle down to almost nothing. Now he sells literally toilet paper for Bitcoin. Hmm. So he'll deliver. He's got a, I don't know, he must have bought a warehouse of toilet paper or something, but he'll go around and deliver toilet paper to people and they'll Bitcoin him you know, a dollar's worth of Bitcoin or $3 worth of Bitcoin. So, so it's literally saving lives. Four-fifths of the world does not have access to a bank account. Those people keep their money in their home. But they have access to Internet? Yes. Fascinating. Yes. Much more of the world has access to Internet than a bank account. Uh, it's kind of like the landline phone. Cell phones came along and jumped right over landline in Asia and Africa. There's no such thing as landlines in those countries, in, in large parts of them. But there is cell phone service. So um, at a library, at any place that has access, you can access your wallet. You don't have to put your wallet on a cell phone. You can keep your wallet just in the Internet. As long as you have an email address and you have your login and password, you can go to uh, whichever wallet you want to use and just use the wallet on their site. You don't have to actually download it. To I feel like hackers would have a heyday with this. I'm sure uh, they've tried. They, they, but... they will. So that's the easiest hack. I call it a human hack. That's where you leave your phone open at Starbucks and mm. somebody zips out all the Bitcoin. Are you in an email, tell your mom you're you know, wallet ID and the password and that she can get some Bitcoin out, you know, it, it, it's called a human hack. The idea of a computer being able to hack into the network is false because we're already using the fastest computers we can possibly buy at great expense to just process the normal transaction. It would be impossible to come in with a smaller computer or even the same size array that I'm using and hack into one of these transactions. The, the software hack doesn't ever happen. It's always the people hack. But if the miner C has 
a computer that is powerful enough to unpack A's transaction to B, mm-hmm. who's to say that that same computer won't be able to hack? Initiate a transaction, to, to be more specific. If you wanted to use, let's say, my mining equipment to initiate a transaction for someone else's wallet, number one, it would be impossible because you wouldn't have their wallet or their permission number. They you don't, don't. You wouldn't need their permission. You if, they, okay. if you had their wallet ID and the login, you could log into their wallet. And okay. So you wouldn't have their wallet ID, so you couldn't originate a transaction from their account. Couldn't it be just a randomized, the way people fish it's for 30, passwords? I mean, you can't you, just make a computer program that randomly selects. At 36 characters, it's, it's beyond the capability of, of current oh, okay. technology. Interesting. It's every but not for unpacking, but for... Well, you're, you're talking about doing a, a brute force hack of 36 characters. And uh, at about 12, that's where our current computing stops these days. Okay. If you want to just try every 12-character uh, possible combination. Do you think cryptocurrency will usurp physical currency that we use now? Yes. You do? Yes. Where, how far down the line? A hundred years, twenty years, ten years. Twenty would be a a conservative estimate. Ten would be an aggressive estimate. And I've been completely shocked by Bitcoin since its existence. So I'm I'm thinking that my estimates are are overblown. But with only twenty one million coins, that seems to me then there won't be a whole lot of access. There's a few uh, extra more people on the planet uh, <laughs> than 21 million. A Shatoshi is the smallest part of Bitcoin you can buy. Okay. So people always ask me, you know, I don't have 20 grand to buy a Bitcoin. And my response is, is you can buy a tenth of a Bitcoin for $2,000. Or you can buy a twentieth of Bitcoin. Or you can buy a Shatoshi. Or Satoshi. I always mess it up. But that's a decimal and then six zeros. Okay. That's like a, a songwriter paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a songwriter royalty. And actually, they're getting into paying songwriters with a blockchain type app. So it, it's bleeding into every business. That's interesting. Um, but you could literally send a penny's worth of Bitcoin or a half a penny's worth or a tenth of a penny's worth mm-hmm. of Bitcoin. So it can get very, very small. So access, Infinite I think, will possible. always be there. Okay. I think people will always be able to buy Bitcoin or they'll simply buy a competing currency that's not as high. You know, if Bitcoin ever becomes so much where Shatoshi is, you know, $1,000, then people start buying uh, Ethereum classic coins or, or a mm-hmm. different kind of coin. So perhaps the best way for people to understand what cryptocurrency is, is, is to take out the mythology of it and instead look at it as if you're just traveling to another country and that's their currency. That's an excellent way to put it. I would recommend learning two terms, blockchain and smart contracts. If you go to YouTube and type in those two words, two terms, you'll get a five minute video for each that'll explain what it's doing. The interesting part with smart contracts is now it no longer becomes about money. Let's pretend your smart contract is your personal medical record. Mm -hmm. In that smart contract, you can set who you allow to view that record, your doctor, your insurance company, your parents, your spouse. You can also set permissions on how much of that file they can view. And what do I mean by your file? I mean every MRI, every image, every note, every prescription, everything that's ever happened in your life, if that could be packed into one file and stored on the blockchain, now every person that has, let's call it medical coin, it's not even a coin, let's just call it medical coin. (laughs) Every person that has medical coin downloaded to their phone or on their computer has a copy of everybody else's records. Well, that's crazy. Except. That sounds not good. (laughs) Except they are unable to view them. They're only able to view their record in the blockchain. Okay. And they're only able to set permissions for other people to see their record. What's the benefit of having everyone's connected? 
if we're talking medical records. Okay, so you go to Tahiti and you um, have a heart attack and you're in the hospital. You want your records from the United States sent to Tahiti. Ah. Go. How long is it going to take you? A minute. Okay, like get started now. Probably 48 hours okay. at least. Okay, with a smart contract, if you had that information already encoded and encrypted into the network, anyone with a medical coin or Ethereum or Ethereum Classic wallet could unpack your file if they had permission. So this is the wave of the future. And medical records, banking records, sure. tax records. The state of Georgia not the state in the United States, but the country of Georgia in Eastern Europe is recording property deeds on the blockchain. Mm. So what was happening in Eastern Europe, every time a new fiefdom would come in and take over the country, they would have a big fire. And in this fire, they'd put all the tax documents, all the land deeds, mm -hmm. all the everything, yes. and have a big fire and a cleansing. And then they would distribute the land back out to their friends. Mm -hmm. Well, the people in Georgia got wise to that, and they started encrypting their deeds into the blockchain, into the ledger. So now when a new leader comes in and says, oh, I'm going to give this house to my buddy, everybody in Georgia is like, nope, here's the deed. We all have a copy of it. It's a distributed oh, Power ledger. to the people. Power to the people. The people that are saying, uh, so many of my friends from the left are saying that this is a way to marginalize poor people and a way for the rich to get richer. They're missing the big idea of what we're trying to accomplish here. We're trying to actually give the world's least the same power that the world's greatest have, the same access to this financial network that one-fifth of the world has access to. Only one-fifth of the world has a bank account. So we're trying to give the other four-fifths of the world the power to do the same thing we do with money. If you lived in the third world and let's say you had $100, that'd be a considerable amount. Yes. You would keep that in your house. It'd probably be in paper money. And if there was a flood, a fire, sure. or much more likely theft, you would lose all your money. So everybody knows in certain countries when the people leave their homes, all of their entire life's wealth is stored inside that home. They're not going to take it with them to work. Sure. So they know to rob them when they're out. Right. What we're doing is we're giving these people a place to store value as long as they want. It's really in a fascinating. Safe, secure environment. It really is. I'm curious to see where it will go. It's it's fascinating. All right, let's segue into. Um, I'm sure there's questions, and if you would, if there are questions, you know, be on the show again. Sure. People can email to. me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com, um, or can they email you and ask questions? Sure. Uh, my email address is LearnAvatar at gmail.com. So that's the word learn like you're in school, the word avatar like the film, at gmail.com, no spaces, no dots. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so let's segue to uh, Second Life. Explain a little bit, I, just in case people don't know what Second Life is, explain what that is and then why you became involved and how you're involved. Second Life is a virtual environment where people become uh, maybe a version of themselves that they cannot be in real world or first life. And it's a lot of people call it a video game, but it's more of a simulation where you... Punch this might be, by the way. Yeah, we, we could be stuck in one right now. Um, but yeah, a lot like The Matrix and a lot of the early um, ideas came from books like Snow Crash. Um, there's another book out called uh, Ready Player One that they're about to have a film that's coming out that, that basically the, the guy that wrote the book probably got his idea from playing the video game or from playing Second Life. So it's a way to log in to another universe that's all digital where people have houses and cars and you can go into their house or you can go into their office and you can you know, interact in, in real time and see the other person, see their gestures. So it's it's like a video game where you get to play the characters, but it's any like character Avatar. you want. It's like Avatar, like the film Avatar. Right. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning of this conversation, I've had friends that have performed in Second Life and made money, which I would love to know how to do because I would be all over that. But I assume you have to build up a presence in a, in a world like that. You do or you have to be in the right spot at the right time. So there's certain clubs in Second Life. Uh, Bluebird Cafe actually 
the Nashville Bluebird Cafe that's in Nashville, Tennessee on Hillsboro Road. Uh, at one time, I don't know if they still do, but at one time they had um, uh, a stage and people would go on and play on the stage in virtual reality. Uh, so Dirks Bentley, I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. He was um, in Second Life when he released his album in... I think 2012 or something, he actually released it in Second Life or played a show in Second Life or, or something like that. You 2 um, several big name acts have, have been in Second Life, you know, doing their performance. So it's, it's so pretend. So they just set up their microphones here in the living room and it then goes into the computer mm-hmm. and becomes the avatar performing. Yes. So cool. In real time. And you can uh, change your, you can modulate your voice. So if you want to sound like a female and you're actually male or vice versa, you can do that. So you can just be whomever you You choose. Be anyone you want. That's so interesting. And people, how many people live in Second Life? There are, I think, 15 million users or avatars. A lot of them are, you know, either no longer logging in or they're uh, duplicates of of another person. The concurrency, I think, is around 800,000 month to month. So I think about 800,000 people log in once a month or more. And these figures are probably old. Someone out there can, can correct me. But um, it's it's a large community. And it's uh, the death of Second Life has been predicted so many times. I think the first time I read about Second Life dying was like in 2007. So we're still here and, and uh, really having a good time. Come how join much, us. <laughs> how much time do you spend in that world? Uh, I spend probably four, probably four hours a day on Second Life. Wow, fascinating. So usurping First Life, you spend that much time in Second Life. What do you do there? To, to me, it, it happens at the same time. I'll have Second Life running like I'll have the television running. Mm. And it's in the background, and if somebody, you know, comes so it operates in. in its own and, and interacts with you. Like you in your second life world, you might be sitting on your couch, and there'll be a knock at the door. Yeah, exactly like that. Okay. So you don't have to actually be playing the whole time and okay. pressing the fire button okay. or whatever you do in other video games. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a passive thing, and oh, and it's a social thing where people see that you're online, and just like on Facebook, they'll hit you up and be like, oh, hey, what are you doing? You know, they really didn't even want to talk to you. They just saw that you're there, so they just... Do you wear a microphone as you, you would can. and say, and then when you talk, your avatar is talking, and they hear you? Is you, that... You can do it that way. Uh, a lot type? of people A lot of people type. A lot of people do both, uh, different environments for, for different... Is there crime in Second Life? Yes. Um, one of the first big crimes, I think, uh, Casino was gamed. So they had a poker machine, and it had 10,000 shuffles in it. <laughs> so one kid watched all 10,000 shuffles and knew what the next one was going to be because it was going in a loop. So on the 10,001th <laughs> shuffle, he bet... A zillion dollars, and and in uh, you know a mere hours, this one whole casino was taken down. Since then, I think in two thousand nine, they did out- he get reprimanded for that, or is that mm, just gaming the, the system? Well, I I thought it was legitimate because he really didn't steal anything or or deceive anybody. It's like he counting just, cards. Yeah, he just counted cards. Um, but I'm sure that he would have gotten banned from Second Life, or, or something would have happened. Uh, but he probably just logged out and sold the money and and got it out. Uh, but they've outlawed gambling since then, and um, I think Second Life is better for it because a lot of people were just going there to do yeah. that. Now, that stopped a lot of the growth because a lot of people were coming in just to gamble. But Second Life is so much more than that. I felt like the, the gambling part was kind of overshadowing the, the human interaction. Okay. Are there, um, are there sex workers on Second yes. Life? Yes. Yes. Wow, fascinating. Uh, Every um, advance in technology from the, I don't know, the, the very first <laughs> advance in technology, very first imaging advance, photography, anything, mm-hmm. was always around pornography. Mm-hmm. Or you can call it art or eroticism or, or whatever. Sure. Um, but that's what fed the internet when it first started. And that was a major part of Second Life when it first started. Now it's since developed into a, a blossomed into a full community, much like the internet has. You know, mm-hmm. a, a smaller and smaller majority of, of the internet is is porn than it used to be. 
but that element still is there and yes you can go and pay someone to have virtual sex with you in second life fascinating and it's a real person you can hear their voice and talk to them or it, did you see the movie her I did. I love that with uh, yeah, Joaquin great, Phoenix. Yeah, it was a great yeah. movie. And uh, I thought the intimacy achievement in that movie was so intriguing. It was very interesting. And, and I assume that, that in Second Life that is basically how it works out. two of the people that worked for me in Second Life married in real life. Having not ever met, only their avatars? Never met. They both came to work. One of them was already working there. And I, I sell land in Second Life, for lack of a better term. Uh, in real life, you'd call it a web host. I lease server space. Um, but they, one of them was working. The other one came in to buy some land, and they struck up a conversation. And pretty soon, they started working there. And then Without ever seeing themselves in real life? Probably. Um, and then at some, some point, I guess they actually had to because... You know, they sure. ended up getting married, but one of them uh, moved from one state to another state, That's and it was really... So you're a real estate broker in Second Life. What does that mean exactly? So in Second Life, you can exist in a public space, and once a day that public space is cleared off like a sandbox, and you start all over again the next day, it takes all your objects. So you could build this massive house or skyscraper, but it won't stay there. So a lot of people, when they put that much work into building an object, they want it to be there when they log back in. So they will buy a piece of real estate in real terms. They will lease part of a server like you would if you had a website mm -hmm. and you wanted to host your website on a server. Mm -hmm. So they will lease this space and put their objects, maybe a dog, maybe a car, you know, whatever they've bought or Definitely built. Definitely a dog. <laughs> and, and that's the other cool thing about this economy. If you build a house that's really cool, you can sell it to other players in the game. Later on. Or if you build a car or something else, like somebody says, oh, wow, I like your, your house. You can say, well, I'll sell you a copy of it for, um, let's say in real world money, like 22 cents. And if you sell thousands of those, then you know, pretty soon you're making money. Oh, and how long have you been a member of Second Life? I joined in April 6th of 2006. How do you begin a life there like anything else? You move to a town and, you know, and I mean, I assume you use real world currency and put it into Second Life and that way you can begin your, your Second Life you, world. You can or you can exist without money. There's plenty of free places in Second Life. But so if you want to lease land and all that, yeah, that, that requires real world money to go into Second Life. Yeah, you would life use a credit card or, or yeah. some other way okay. to get money in. Sure. But it's free to join. It's free to play. If you're in the public spaces, you can go take classes. You can learn how to build. A lot of people never actually paid anything into Second Life. They just got so good at it that other people started paying them to build things. Mm. So that made them enough money where they could buy a house, they could lease some server space or buy some land. Mm -hmm. And they've never put a dime in Second Life. They've just logged in, become good at it. And what I mean by building is it's a lot like uh, AutoCAD or computer-assisted drawing. You take primitive objects like a sphere, a cone, a pyramid shape, and you stack those on top of each other in different sizes and you can manipulate the That's colors kind of and Very artistic. you can take a picture of yourself, upload it into Second Life and put your face, your actual face on an object. Hmm. Just use that as the texture. Each So if you want a billboard or just a ball, you could, you know, yeah. like a head, you could wrap oh, your image sure. around a, a oh. sphere and it would look strange, but people do it. What are kind you, of money do people make living in Second Life? That is So the last time last time I checked and this has been a while ago there were 5000 people making a full-time living in second life and Which i'd be one of those what 40 grand people. a year or something or, or yeah or more. or more yeah and and i'd be one of those so i have no idea what it is today but uh, there there are a lot of people just having fun there are a lot of people making just a little bit of money and then there's 5000 or so making an actual living that is so fascinating huh this has been really intriguing. I'm, oh, wow. I'm sure I'll, I'll come up with more questions. Uh, oh, I do know that one question I wanted to ask about cryptocurrency going back a little bit. Sure. Um, and you spoke of, you know, there's sex workers, which are, 
I assume there's no rules. There's no, like, you have to be 18 to sleep with uh, a sex worker. We, we do have uh, child pornography restrictions in Second Life. So if you do something that resembles child pornography, then you'll get banned and, huh. and your avatar will get banned. Even if it's video game, even if it's cartoon, even if it's anything closely related to, to child anything then then yeah they'll put their foot down that other than that well that's good to know yeah other than that you know just just be we have this thing called griefing you're not supposed to cause another player grief okay so if that means just by walking past them and saying hey you look stupid well that's griefing so So there's a morality code yeah yeah and it's much different than our first amendment in the united states in second life they're pretty strict about if you're actively going out trying to cause trouble sure we'll just kick you off the island and you can ban people from certain parts of Second Life. So if you want to let them you know, still stay in this part but not come into some of the more exclusive zones, you can set a, uh, a territorial ban. Is there a uh, gross a misrepresentation of wealth in Second Life the way there is in the world? I think people try to become a younger, hotter, taller richer version of themselves that seems to be the default it's like instagram a lot of people do that uh some people want to turn into a dragon some people want to be r2d2 i would like a tail a lot of people do they're called furries there's a whole community that that just has furry and and then another part of second life is there's ratings so there's a g rating uh PG rating and an adult rating. Mm. So you can choose which area of Second Life you want to go to. Mm. And if you go to the adult section, you're going to see some adult things. So get ready. Oh, interesting. So very interesting. So in the cryptocurrency world, um, we, we sort of touched on um, the nefarious activities. And I know that some of the uh, opponents say, well, the stronger that cryptocurrency gets, the more likely that these horrible things will happen, like human trafficking, or you know, if you want to go buy a kid or something, or whatever it is. I guess that's still human trafficking. Um, uh, but you get what I'm trying, or mm-hmm. drugs, or you mm-hmm. know, heroin, or whatever it is. Um, but it seems to me that it's truly no different than the way people spend regular money. It it's exactly that way. So anything that existed before Bitcoin still exists. And as far as Bitcoin's morality, Forbes did an excellent piece uh, either a few months ago or, or recently about blockchain and emerging markets benefiting the world's poor, um, mm-hmm. pulling the world's poor out of poverty. I, I think the keywords were blockchain, emerging markets, and poverty. I'll look for it and post it uh, on my website. Please do. It was by Forbes. It's an excellent article about how you know Bitcoin is seen to be bad by some people but the reality is is it's helping Mm. the vast majority of people in the world become Mm -hmm. more connected well you know people are scared of something new generally speaking so it doesn't surprise me that it gets vilified before people truly understand it that's just the way human beings work um thank you john you're very welcome it's been really please so very fascinating please anyone out there listening if you're interested in mining send me an email i'll tell you how to get started um, if you're interested in joining Second Life, please go to secondlife.com. It's free to sign up. Yeah, and, and again, John's email is learnavatar at gmail.com. And I'll put a link to that on heyhumanpodcast.com. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out and buy some cryptocurrency. Who knows? Yeah. You might save the world. Save the world. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.